Dealers, my name. It's great to have you with us again. Uh, look, we're talking church planting with David Jones. David's, um, uh, well, he's been really one of the gurus of Christian ministry in uh, Tasmania over the last 25, 30 years. Uh, he's been involved in planting five churches and repotting, revitalising two. And uh, he's with me now. David, thanks very much for joining us. David uh, and his wife Ruth were super hospitable to my wife Kathy and I Mm, and our three kids. It was really good for us a couple of years ago to... We were down speaking for you. Yes, at the Tasmanian Christian Convention. And we spent a week Mm. uh, in your house. And and for us as a couple, Mm. neither of us who've grown Mm. up in evangelical homes Mm. to Mm. just kind of learn from somebody a little bit older and wiser Mm -hmm. than us. It was just a terrific time. Mm. Uh, David, you've... Well, let's take us back. Five church plants, two revitalizations. Mm. I'm going to ask you about some common themes mm-hmm. between them, but why don't we just do mm. a little bit of kind of digging about, about mm-hmm. what they yes. variously were. Take yeah. us back to the beginning in the 70s. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I began ministry in Wales. I'm from Wales originally, as you probably tell by my accent. Um, and in the Presbyterian Church of Wales, it's also known as the Calvinistic Methodist Connection. So, um, same denomination, two names. And um, uh, I went, uh, this isn't a good way of entering ministry, but I went straight from school into theological college, studied theology at the university, and then straight into ministry, you know, which I wouldn't really recommend as a pathway into ministry. So really, at 22, you've, you've given charge of a church? Yes. I was converted in a dead church, studied theology at the university, never sat under a new, uh, under biblical uh, preaching. And so it was a, it was uh, being thrown in at the deep end, really. Uh, I think my theological convictions I learned through uh, student conferences, um, listening to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, you know, at student conferences and reading good books, um, but not not from the theological course itself. So, yeah, um, and I'm just saying that just by way of background, but I, I wouldn't recommend that as a way. No. You know, just, <laughs> I think there's, you know you need to set yourself up for a lifetime of ministry, really, and, and have a really decent theological education, and that's one of the big regrets that I've, I've had, really. So so I, would, I, have, I didn't go into ministry thinking, oh, I'm going to be a church planter or, or a church revitalizer or anything like that. Uh, I just found myself in a country parish, in a, in a liberal denomination, and uh, uh, my only justification for being in a denomination like that was that we were trying to reform things and bring them back to, to scripture and I, I just knew that sooner or later I, I'd hit a brick wall basically and, and I wouldn't be able to uh, you know it, it, I would have to sort of um, it, 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 yeah, leave <laughs> yeah. Is what, is what I mean it, yeah. it sounds like as yeah. you, you say it what did you call it? The Calvinistic Methodist. Uh, Calvinistic Methodist. Yeah, it's kind of a tragedy for that a, yes, a, a denomination yeah, yeah, branded yeah, exactly. in John Calvin's yeah. name. To yeah, it's the main denomination in Wales. It was uh, historically. Uh, there isn't an established church in Wales, and and, and it's gone liberal in the seventies. Yes, and yeah. and really, some of the trauma that yeah. the Anglican Church yeah. is going through at the moment. It sounds like they were going through in the seventies. Yes, look in in seventy. Uh, three. I was ordained in seventy three, and almost immediately at the next assembly meeting. The, they passed a resolution inviting all the evangelicals to leave the denomination. To leave? Yeah. That was overturned by the General Assembly, but um, it gives you an idea of you know, where things were at. Okay. Uh, so 23 years old are you? Something yes, like that. something like that, and, 22, I think. And yeah. thrown um, out. 
Well, yes, really, yeah. And but having a feeling uh, that I had a responsibility towards the people I'd been ministering to, uh, we decided to uh, to stay in this small country town. And uh, and so, what you you moved to the school hall, or I mean, yeah. Well, yes, we did. Yeah, uh, I can't remember where we first met. We no, we met in the schoolroom of a Baptist church, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. and um, yeah, so gathered a congregation, small congregation. Uh, we were suddenly without any. Income, only just married, without anywhere to live. <laughs> Actually, lived, we lived in a burnt-out house for 18 months with no electricity, and no running water in the house, just charred beams in the, in the ceiling upstairs. And, um, it was an interesting time. <laughs> it was a, an interesting time. So, so we gathered a congregation then, uh, uh, which still exists. It's still a fairly small congregation, but it's always had full-time ministry. And that was how many years ago? That's forty, 40 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. More. yeah. So and then, then, so that's church plant number one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> uh, well, in terms of church, so after after that, we moved to London, and that was a church revitalisation yeah. thing, really. So we were in inner city London for twelve years. And and again, a little hodgepodge church, or what, uh, what, it was uh, a church with a, a, a strong uh, tradition of. of uh, Hyper-Calvinism. Oh, no, you were telling me. Yeah. Ian Murray. Ian Murray was there, yeah. Ian Murray and, and Harold Jones. Harold Jones was the principal of London Theological Seminary. They, they followed each other. And, yeah. and it took both of their ministry ready to get rid of the hyper-Calvinism. And I came on the t- tail end of that. So I, I was called to a church that would seat 800 people uh, with 33 members <laughs> in inner city London. And, uh, so the auditorium yeah. seated 800. Yes. Yeah. And it's cold. Well, they'd they'd stop meeting there because they'd, they'd they were meeting in a hall behind the church, right? Um, which was a sensible thing to do, I think. And so the auditorium sitting empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what did you do? Well, um, I, I just preached. Uh-huh. <laughs> I preached the uh, ex- preached the Bible week by week. We we started a prayer meeting. Uh, this this is a common theme, I think, that I runs through everywhere I've been. I've tried. I'm very much con- uh, persuaded about. Uh, Kingdom-centered, congregational praying, uh-huh. and so everywhere I've been, I, we, I've, I've tried to make that a priority. And um, so, one, for example, one of the ways we do that would be to say, "Okay, this week the church is meeting for prayer. Nothing else is going to happen. Everything else is cancelled because this is what we're doing as a church this week." Yeah. Uh, and so you're, you're sending the, the message. Okay, this is important. We, we've got to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And often we pay lip service to the prayer bit. You know, we work hard at our preaching and, and preparing the sermons and so on. Yeah. But the idea of, of you know, of, of coming together to pray, because that, we're not praying for the work, that prayer is the work that we're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to teach a congregation that is, is an uphill. So struggle. I'm looking for through lines, and yes. one of the through but, lines of your ministry has yeah. been... Everywhere I've been, I've tried to establish a congregational prayer meeting. Okay, and King, how King frequently... Well, it varies in place to place. It's ideally, I would like it to be every week, mm-hmm. but but you, that's not really practically. And you can't cancel everything every week. Not really. No, no. <laughs> we have gospel communities and, and Bible study groups and all yeah, those yeah, sort of yeah. things. So, um, so most it, recently, it, what once a term or once well, a month? Well, in, in Ann Street in Brisbane, it it was the first first Wednesday of every month. Right. And uh, and we saw the numbers. We we, we had a, uh, another. What usually happens with prayer meetings is they get sort of 
put into slots that are most convenient yep. or, or at least in, inconvenient for people. Yeah, and and so you get small numbers. And by putting it in the in the in the center of the week and saying this is nothing else is happening this week, the numbers immediately began to increase. So yep. In a congregation of about 300, uh, a church of 300, we had three congregations at Ann Street, but uh-huh. uh, in a church of 300 we would get about 80 at the prayer meeting. Right. And, uh, and, and it would be a word of exhortation, not a sermon, because I think yeah. what often happens is that uh, you know it, it becomes a Bible study and a prayer meeting and the Bible study takes over and the prayer gets lost out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's focused praying, uh, praying for conversions, praying for, you know, for the extension of the kingdom, uh, it's it's something that you need to, I think, cast vision for, you know, and show people how to do it. Yeah. Be ruthless with people who are misusing, you know, the space. Yeah. For their own promotion or things. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. When I'd say no politics. Yeah. And no preaching. Yeah. Remember, you're talking to God. You know. Yeah. Um, um, you know, be brief and to the point. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I would have to interrupt someone. Yeah, really. If, if, yeah, you have to do that. Normally, you do that outside of the meeting, but yeah. you have to. I think you have to model and, and teach people that this isn't just like a private prayer thing. This is. Yeah. So, when was the last time you interrupted somebody in a prayer meeting? Uh, not not recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I have called people to one side after a prayer meeting and say, "Look, yeah. you, know, you realize, you know, you're, there's a lot of cliches here, and and you're going for too long, and people, yeah. you know." Or, and there's one. There's, I, I, you know, I won't say where it was, but there's one one prayer meeting where there's the guy would all. It was like a party little broadcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he, he wasn't praying; he was preaching. Yeah. Um, back yeah. to back anyway, to London. Yeah. And yeah. Um, this this church in London. Did, did we manage to move out of the back hall we did, into yeah. the main auditorium? Yeah. And we were able to um, re- refurbish the, the main auditorium. So we got up to about 250, uh-huh. and it was more representative of the area where we were yep. situated in, in inner city London. So it was it was an exciting time. We saw different nationalities. Uh, we saw some local guy, um, people, uh, you know, converted, and, and some guys went in study for ministry and went into full time ministry. Yeah. So why move from London to Tasmania? Hmm. Well, at that time, I'd been in ministry for 20 years, full-time ministry for 20 years. Yeah. And um, in, in the independent scene, or the UK scene, it's, um, uh, you were ex- really expected to preach three, three times a week. So three new sermons a week. That sounds madness Mor- to me. <laughs> yeah. Morning and evening, and uh, then a, a midweek meeting as well. And uh, So it, 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 um, I was exhausted after that right. amount of time. And so I, I was... I, I love London. I loved living in London. Things were going well, but I was really exhausted. And and I think if we had something like long service leave or a sabbatical, I may may well have still been there. You know, right? But it's, yeah. So um, yeah, we had a couple of Australians in the congregation, and they their dad was a minister in Melbourne. He, he knew about me through his sons. Invited me out to Melbourne. The people in Hobart were looking for a, a pastor. I'm a Presbyterian by conviction, with a small p. Yeah. And uh, I knew what was happening in Australia. Uh, it always looks better from a distance through rose-coloured spectacles. Yeah, but, but there was a work of reformation going on here, you know, in the Presbyterian Church. Yeah. So I thought, well, I, I can find a home for my convictions here in Australia. I was I was fed up with independency. Yeah. Uh, in, in the evangelical scene outside of Anglicanism in, in, in the UK is independent. And 
I, I just didn't find that helpful at all. Really. Everyone right. was doing their own thing. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I, I got a call from St John's in Hobart, and um, it was in 1993. And uh, yeah, we've been here ever since. Now, what was St John's Hobart like mm. when you came to it? Yeah, so, so St John's was um, it had had an evangelical ministry. There was a guy called um, uh, Mike Skalitsky who was a Moore College graduate. He'd been there. He was my predecessor. Uh, it was a congregation, probably if I remember rightly, about a maybe about a hundred. 120 people. Um, so it was, it's a fairly strong church. Had a, a bit of an evangelical heritage. It was the only, after Union, it was the only Presbyterian church left in the south of Tasmania. Right. And, um, yeah, so, uh, um, again... Now, the first thing I remember... Yes. And I think it was probably the first time I heard your name... Yeah. ...was... Immediately after the Port Arthur massacre. Yeah, that's right. That's, and, uh, that was in '95, I think, wasn't it? Oh, '96. '96. Yeah. And so you'd been there three years. Yeah. What? Do you want to just take us through the blow-up of yes. the Port Arthur massacre in terms of how it impacted your church? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Look, it it was um, well, it, it was a traumatic time, really. You know, it was the the feeling in in the city was it was palpable. You know, yeah. it was so feelings were raw. And of course, you want to do something to, um, you know, when anything like this happens, the, the, the people want to express their grief. And uh, so there was a, an ecumenical service that was organised, but it was it, it became an interfaith service, and so there were representatives of other religions involved, and uh, and we just felt as a denomination that we 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 had to you know make it clear that you know uh, we weren't in favour of that, and and. I think uh, you know feelings were raw. People were so uh, you know you, you, they were looking they were looking for someone to blame. I think, and, and I found myself very much in the firing line. Well, well people, <laughs> the, I'm just thinking of the cycle of grief. Yes. You, you go through yeah, grieving, right. and then you turn yeah. to anger, and yes. everybody goes through that yeah, anger. Right. And yeah. someone who doesn't get it right yeah. in their mind, that's right. yeah, um, it was like that. It was like it like playing Russian roulette. Every time I picked up the phone. There was either hate speech towards me, or there were people wanting to encourage me, yeah. and I never knew exactly what was going to happen. Which way the phone call was going to uh, go? And there were cartoons in the newspaper. You know, there was yeah, yeah. It was a very difficult time. Yeah, a very difficult time. It made me very wary of the media. Yeah, I mean, yeah. from a distance yeah. up here, looking down, I thought. That's courage, you know. That's actually saying, yeah. no, we don't all believe the same thing. We're yeah. not all saying the yeah. same thing. Yeah. yeah, you have to draw the line in the sun, don't you? If, if you have to stand on the gospel, you know. And uh, that was the time for doing that, I think. Yeah. yeah. How did it impact the church? Because there'd be, yeah. I mean, even though there'd been good teaching at St mm. John's, mm. I'm imagining that not everybody stood with you on that point. Uh, there, there wasn't much of a falling out. At St John's, yeah. I think most people were were, were supportive. Uh, I think we probably gained a few people because right. because we took a stand. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Uh, but I don't think really in the end it it uh, it, it brought us into the um, the public eye. The public eye. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Um, church planning in Tasmania. Yeah. So so again, it comes back to this congregational praying. Uh, it's, it's a bit I always forget to tell people when they ask me uh, because people seem to think. Be, because we saw a lot of churches planted in Tasmania. Saw a lot. What do you mean? Well, it was a cooperative church planting. Uh, it became a cooperative church planting movement, which we call Vision 100. 
and um, there's a lot to explain there on yeah. there, but it, it kind of, so in the end there's probably about a dozen churches planted in, in, uh-huh. in, southern, Tas- in southern Tasmania. Um, what I always forget, people then think, oh, you must be an expert in church planning. I, 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 it's not, I just happened to be there when God did something. Right. That's the way I, 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 I explain it. And, and the bit I always forget is that this movement uh, was birthed in, in the congregational prayer meeting. And, and ironically, you know, the people who'd been praying for new converts had the most, some of the, you know, people who'd been most eloquent about praying for the new converts had the most difficulty accepting them when they turned up. Really? <laughs> yeah, there was a, there was a lot of... Uh, Actually, I've heard something. Yeah. You, you, you planned some churches or people joined and from different people groups or something like that? Yeah, well, was, what, what happened is that, you know, but, but people were, again, the congregational prayer meeting was building up. We had about 80 or 90 people in the prayer meeting, mm-hmm. and this was fortnightly. Yeah. And, and people were praying specifically for conversions. And God just uh, opened up a whole network of, you know, relationships. And in the end, there were about 150 conversions at the end of the 90s. And then, and a lot of these were people from non-church backgrounds, and some of them are still at school, haven't yeah. started uni yet. And um, uh, that was a big influx in a church. I mean, St. John's was already about 300 people yeah. in a fairly small building. Yeah. And then when you got these sort of numbers of new converts coming in, that led to a lot of tension uh, you know, building up. There was a big disruption, really. A disagreement in how to handle the new converts, what you know, what um, uh, what to do with them. What was the problem with them? <laughs> well, I think uh, they weren't. Pres- they, they weren't. They weren't Presbyterians. You see, <laughs> 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 they were pagans. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, I think one of the sad things about it was that um, I could see, and some of my uh, colleagues could see that. These guys, not only were they clearly converted, you know, and evangelistically zealous, but they were also potential, not just potential leaders, but leaders of leaders, you know, and uh-huh. that's how it's turned out to be, actually. But some of the um, the power brokers just couldn't see that, you know. They, they, I remember one guy dismissing them as a bunch of ferals, and uh, because they came with dreadlocks, and one of them came with dreadlocks, they didn't always wear shoes on their feet. Uh, they, uh, yeah, they didn't fit in to a Presbyterian church, so I could see that either, either they, and there's a lot of tension building up. Either they would kind of just disappear, and you'd lose all that great evangelistic, yes. mo- or, or more likely because they were all converted at the same time and they all knew each other. You know, they would try and do church themselves. So one of the things I learned from Lloyd Jones, really, and being in the UK, was that you know, that, and it, it comes, it, it was it was the issue between Stott and Lloyd Jones, really, the, the, the difference between uh, schism and secession. Yeah. You know that you, Lloyd Jones was 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 about visible gospel unity that we 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 owe it to one another as evangelicals across the denominations to stand together, not to form another denomination, yeah. but to be visibly, you know, connected with each other. And to separate from those in our own denomination who preach another gospel, you know, uh, which he would, you know, regardless, you, you secede yeah. from that. Yeah. Know? And that was the issue back then in the 60s. They yeah. stopped and, and I, so I'm very clear about this. So I, 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 I was in a denomination now which was not liberal. I had a bunch of young Turks, if you like, angry young men who were yeah. not being well treated. And who needed to be taught Jesus. Yeah, yeah. that's right, and discipled. And, and so... Uh, 
I didn't uh, I didn't want to see a secession. I didn't want them to go and do their own thing. And so I, 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 in the end, anyway, the system worked and the presbytery got involved and they gave me permission to plant a church with these new converts as long as I re- resigned from St. John's. So you know? left St. John's and went off and yeah. did another church plant? So I left St. John's and we... With um, this bunch of ferals. Yes, yeah, a bunch yeah. of ferals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we met on the domain in Hobart and the first it started off, that was the name of the group. Uh, they wanted to call it In the Colosseum, but uh, I persuaded them that On the Domain might be better than In the Colosseum. <laughs> uh, and that became the Crossroads Church, yeah. Right. And uh, then after a few years, we had a cooperative church plant between some of the Crossroads guys and the Kingston Reformed Church gave us some of their families Yeah, and we formed the Cornerstone Church. So I gathered the Cornerstone congregation and then we recruited a guy to lead Cornerstone from Western Australia and, and I moved out with about 40 people to start the Mount Stewart Church. Right. And from there I went up to, to Ham Street. Yeah. So I think when I visited you, you were doing Mount Stewart. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Now... Um, and then I remember you saying to me, um, and I think you were 62, that you were leaving Mount Stewart to yes, yeah. go and give the, you said, yeah. the last five years of your yes. working life yeah, that's right. to this revitalisation in yeah. Ann Street. Yeah. So tell us a bit. Yeah. That, I mean, we're, we're now, we're yeah. moving from, I suppose, suburban Hobart mm-hmm. to right in the central business district of Brisbane. Yeah. Um, tell, and, and this is Ann Street... Mm. Um, the congregation was formed in 1849, so it's an old, one of the oldest churches in, in the city. Um, yeah. and, but kind of a bit sleepy when you went there. Yeah, it, it's, it was, again, a faithful church in lots of ways, but it, it, it was, um, I think, probably about 100 people, spread, uh, mainly elderly, uh, certainly Anglo-Saxon or Celtic, um, pre- very Presbyterian, um, and, uh, uh, yeah, really... Sp- spread out around the city, so the only time they really saw each other was for an hour on a Sunday, really. And, and, and if you're elderly and Presbyterian, then there's really a ticking time bomb on the church, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. There was a lot. I mean, I, I was surprised at how much spiritual life there was in the church. From a distance, I didn't realise it was quite as healthy as it, right, it okay. turned out to be. Yeah. There were some really, really godly and faithful people there who we really came yeah. to appreciate and... Uh, and yeah, so those five years were really a really good time. But um, so, how did it change in that five-year yeah, period? Well, it, it changed dramatically, and, and the culture of the church changed. Um, the uh, the numbers increased. The the demographic changed. We, so we it, from becoming from just being an elderly traditional Presbyterian congregation, we we have now uh, three congregations we have a, a, a different um, spread of ages lots of different nationalities about 30 different nationalities brisbane's quite a vibrant city now there's a lot of people yeah. from all over the world there in brisbane and through our english as a second language ministry we saw people you know connect with the church there's also a korean congregation that meets as well in our building so it's it's um, yeah it, the average age has come right down the um, yeah, the, uh, the, the just the feel of the place is very much more, I think, gospel-centred. But again, it was there was no kind of it was just basically prayer and preaching, I think. You, you said to me you were planning in, as a sixty-two-year-old yeah. to go and spend five years in yeah. Brisbane yeah. and and see if you could, under God, turn the place around and set it up for the next bloke. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. I remember thinking at the time. Wow, five years isn't very long. <laughs> well, no, I, I remember. You know, I, I thought you said you were you were saying I'm going to go and do if you liked, 
do some of the hard things that need to be done to yeah. kind of mm-hmm. do the do the turnaround stuff then yeah. um, fight the battles if you like mm-hmm. then the next guy it'll be an easier job for him in terms of mm. growing it going well forward. I think I mean I, what I said to the, <clears throat> the church, they, they approached me some years before and, yeah. and I wasn't ready to leave and didn't think that I was the right guy for that job yeah. anyway and I said well you really need a guy in his 40s you know, why don't you go and look for someone? You know, I gave them some suggestions yep. of names, and anyway, they came back to me a few years later, and I said, "Look, okay, I still think you need a guy in his forties, you know, um, because this is such a strategic place. Mm. Uh, they had a building redevelopment; the facilities were fantastic. You know, you need a guy with a lot of energy and a yep. vision for city ministry. Um, but I can, I can come. I've got, uh, I was sixty-five then, so I've yep. got five years that I can give you before I'm seventy. Um, uh, which can help you perhaps prepare for the, the guy who you need the you really term, need for the, the long term ministry. Yeah. And they accepted that and they, they understood that, that that's what was going to happen and uh, uh, they, they were happy to go along with that and, and in fact that's how it turned out we, we, we found the guy and he started almost as soon as I left he started so he's there now, he's 45 years old. Praise God for that. Yeah. 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 And, and what, I mean, I found it spectacularly encouraging just the other person said in this a view towards this man who we didn't know who he was yet. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah but um, again, that was part of, part of the focus of, of, of praying for, the, for this. You know, I think you cast vision um, through, through the pulpit, through mm-hmm. preaching, you know, so applying the word, you, you cast a vision for, the, for a church. But you also do it in the prayer meeting. Uh, through, through, through kingdom-centered praying, you're actually focusing and, and it's more than that. You know, people are getting drawn into it. Yeah. They're seeing answers to prayer, and so I mean that would have been part of what we were focused on praying for the the, the, uh, the long term ministry, the new guy coming in. We would have been praying for that for a long time. Yeah. And um, yeah. Um, How do you do that? You just talked about yeah. casting vision yeah. through the preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I get how you can do it through the prayer yeah. meeting, but casting vision through the preaching. Um, how do you think about? I mean. You and I were talking before about um, preaching Deuteronomy. Do you know mm-hmm. how do you weave vision in mm-hmm. um, to what you're doing as you mm-hmm. you're doing your general exe- exegetical mm-hmm. preaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I, I think the uh, the big <clears throat> I think the big picture of, of you know uh, of the Bible, uh, what what is God doing yeah. in the world? Um, what's our part in that? You know, um, and and the motivation for us to get involved in that is the gospel itself. I think so. So I would always want to preach the gospel in every sermon. Uh, I would want to sort of uh, tie that to you know um, what's actually happening in our church community. Uh, apply the whatever passage I'm preaching on, but through the through the gospel to give motivation. Uh, um, it, yeah, it, it's. Um, so, with a book like Deuteronomy, for example, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a gospel book. Moses is preaching the gospel there. I think it's a missional book. It, it's God's people are on mission with Him. They don't, they failed, in, Israel failed, but nevertheless, it's very clear what God intended for them to mm. be, you know, to be a, a bit almost like a, you know, a, 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 well, a light to the the Gentiles, uh, to be a, uh, an alternative society. Uh, under God, living in God's place, you know, under His protection. Great. Um, yeah. So keeping that big picture in before people and, and showing them where they're at in terms of, you know, where that picture is mm-hmm. is going. Mm. 
David, thanks very much for coming in and talking to us today. Welcome. Yeah. My guest from Tasmania has been uh, David Jones, and as you've heard, uh, five church plants and two revitalizations, <laughs> and uh, now retired in uh, Tasmania. You're on the Pastor's Heart, and we'll catch up with you next week. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.